Hi, I'm Conrad Marshall, and from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Good Weekend Talks. Join us as we take a deep dive into the definitive stories of the day, exploring the events and individuals capturing the interest of Australians through weekly conversations with an array of special guests. In this episode, we meet visual artist Atong Atem. The 30-year-old was born in Ethiopia, escaped civil war from her parents' South Sudan, stayed in a refugee camp in Kenya before being raised on the New South Wales South Coast. Now based in Melbourne, Atong recently received the first ever La Prairie Art Award. As part of that $80,000 prize, Atong is headed to Art Basel in Switzerland, where the world will see her stunning photographic portraiture, which makes use of everything from face painting to fabric weaving. Hosting this episode of the podcast, about a career artist now on the cusp of global superstardom for hyper-saturated and colourful work that's equal parts joyous, playful, political and surreal, is art lover Katrina Strickland, the editor of Good Weekend. Thanks, Conrad, and welcome, Atong. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Atong, we had you on the cover of our September 2020 arts issue, Roller Skating, across the cover, and at that stage you were part of a group of artists that we were interviewing about how you were handling the pandemic. Just take us back to then and what roller skating did did for you in helping to survive that time. Um, yeah, I guess roller skating at that time for me was um, a skill that I acquired in order to focus on a set of danger that wasn't so universal uh, and something to focus on that wasn't actually life or death. You bought them and, and basically would, would roll a roll a blade around the house is that right because you weren't able to go out or (laughs) yeah and I lived in at that time um a small little apartment that didn't have we didn't have a backyard or a balcony or anything so it kind of made it feel a lot smaller than it actually was um and having roller skating as a thing to do around our beautiful hardwood floors (laughs) was really really useful yeah, I love that. Um, fast forward two years, you've just received the La Prairie Art Award at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, the inaugural award. Um, you've got a, a massive mural as part of the Rising Festival in Melbourne. You're, you've got a book in the wings and you're about to fly overseas to Art Basel for a residency as part of that La Prairie Award. That's been quite a two-year period. How And you've had a lot of, I guess, media coverage since winning that award. How are you process, processing all of that and has it has it felt meteoric or not at all to you? Oh, it it's hard to say that it feels meteoric because it, it despite all of the work that I've done in the lead up to all of this, it does feel like a bit of a chaotic surprise. Like mm. it's really it's really hard to um kind of include the little works that kind of happen in order to make a big thing um mm. in your thinking about it. So for me it feels it feels all of a sudden, but it also feels um, quite nice to finally feel like all of my little work over the last 10 years is paying off. So it's it's bittersweet in a way. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing with awards. I mean, a lot of artists would say, you know, they don't like awards in a sense because it's picking a winner and art is not about winning, but it gives you a profile, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's lifted your profile massively. I mean, you've done a shoot for Vogue with your family. You've been in every mainstream and, and niche publication about about the win. So I guess in that respect, it's um, art awards are important, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's about recognition in a way. Um and I suppose with with art specifically, because there is no sort of you know big leagues 
when it comes to the art world and it's all kind of um, everyone's sort of doing their own thing in their own way at their own pace it is really hard to feel like what you're doing is contributing in a larger way so I suppose that's the the, the positive role of art awards and recognition in that way um, but it's also like uh, it's a bit overwhelming at the same time. <laughs> I'd love to pick up a newspaper and on the weekend and not see my name or face for a little yeah. while. Like, it's a bit. Oh no, I'm. I can't hide. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah. Um, now this is an audio medium, and your medium is obviously visual um, photography in particular. Tell us about your work for listeners who might not have have seen some of those stories. Absolutely. Um, it is really visual. I think I love I love the idea of visual mediums being able to communicate in their own way. So I, I predominantly use photography and sometimes film. And most of my interest is in photography. Um, so I was influenced by or like, I suppose I learnt a lot about the history of photography across Africa during the colonial period and afterwards. Um, and my, my main interest was in that moment in history when African people started taking photographs of ourselves rather mm. than being photographed by, you know, colonial powers and whatnot. And there was just an interesting, amazing thing that happened visually where those representations, those photographs were so vibrant and indicative of, you know, culture, but also indicative of a person's individual identity which hadn't really happened before um and even with the black and white photographs there was just so much color and texture and vibrancy and then of course when color came into it it became more that so the photographs I take include a lot of um they're often portraits of myself and my friends and they include a lot of like fabric backgrounds that are patterned and colorful a lot of flowers a lot of face paint as well there's quite a few photos mm-hmm. I've taken of myself where the only non-colorful painted part of the ob- of the photograph is maybe just my eyeballs you know so mm. there's an excess in my work which I really love and what what's the excess about how would what would you say that's referring to I suppose it's um it's it's political but it's also a personal choice political in the sense that I suppose historically there's sort of an expectation that people from cultures outside of the norm need to sort of shrink themselves or remove themselves from the spotlight and by using a lot of cultural icons or iconography or like visual languages or whatever in my work I'm sort of pushing against that and I'm saying I want to be as loud as I want to be and I want to include multiple elements of my culture and I don't want to synthesize it into one easily digestible thing and then on an aesthetic personal level my interests outside of politics and culture are in science fiction and fantasy and surrealism so you know, like I grew up watching Star Wars and Star Trek and all the other star things. <laughs> um, and I grew up sort of being infiltrated with this this medium and this culture, which is science fiction specifically, that was about the unreal and the, the extreme elements of science, the extreme possibilities of, you know, human imagination and beyond. And I like to include that in the work that I'm making, you know? Yeah, I suppose there's an idea of what African art can be and I'm sort of showing that me and many other African artists are so outside of people's expectations sometimes. And you, you came here as a six-year-old. You're now 31. Is is part of that also just kind of reminding people that, that there is a, an African diaspora in Australia? Um, I know there's a lot more focus on people 
you know, with African origins in, in recent years, but there probably wasn't in the first couple of decades that you were here. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I think when I was younger, to be honest, I felt more of a pressure to represent, you know, African people, to represent people from my own culture. But over time, growing up, getting older, um, mm. I think my interest is more so in just representing myself and my own perspective. And in doing that, I think it is reminding people, even my own people, that we exist in multitudes and there's a multiplicity of identities within our mm. community. And the things that combine us and bring us together um, aren't or shouldn't be the things that then limit us. Um, so I suppose there's an element of feeling like I represent something, but I feel like I have the opportunity to then use my platform to remind people that I'm one of millions and I'm only like, you know, one kind of grain of sand in a whole beach that is the African diaspora, you know? Yeah. And did you feel that you saw much African originated art in Australia before you started working? Like, did you feel an absence of that? Or were there artists here that you kind of looked at and, and recognised in that respect? There were definitely people that I uh, that I knew here and that I looked at. Um, but within visual art specifically, I didn't see much. And part mm. of that is it's it's not because there weren't any. It's just that, you know, they, they weren't maybe showcased as much as I wish they had been. So there was an element of feeling, as far as being a South Sudanese person specifically, there was an element of feeling like I was one of a few that were given attention, not one of mm. a few that existed because there's a lot of people making art from my community. But in terms of, you know, who was I being um, given as people to study in art school or in, you know, art class in primary school or high school. So it made it kind of, in in some ways it made it difficult because I felt like I was paving my own path. But in, in, in other ways it meant that I could sort of dictate and, you know, design and be the architect of my own path in a way. Um, mm. Yeah, so definitely representation was lacking for sure. I suppose that's what made it easy for me to form my own kind of artistic identity. And tell us about your your background. You were born in Ethiopia. Your parents were from South Sudan. Tell us, I guess, why you were in Ethiopia when you came here and, and what life was like when you um, were growing up. So my, my parents are both incredibly intelligent people who were part of a lot of political uprising in South Sudan. My dad's a political journalist and my mum worked for the United Nations for a period of time as well. Um, so we were in Ethiopia because of political turmoil and then I was born and a couple of weeks after that, more political turmoil and my, mm. my family and 30,000 other refugees walked from Ethiopia to Kenya in order to end up in a refugee camp in Kenya. And then, you know, some years passed turmoil on turmoil and we eventually ended up in Australia in 1997 as refugees um, and that whole sort of foundation uh, has influenced the way that I think about my family and my, my, my culture and my identity because despite all of the intense political turmoil that my family and others have experienced there's always been this intense push and drive to kind of seek better for future generations to seek better for existing generations. Um, and it's wild that, like, yeah, I suppose the relationship that I have to my family and other African people is sort of influenced with that understanding and it, there's so much, mm. like, love and a huge, strong sense of community and, like, we sort of 
we, we did everything we did in terms of movement, displacement, um, being migrants and all of that has kind of existed within this bubble of community. We're doing it together. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's surprising when that kind of sense of community gets used against us to some extent. But yeah, I mean, growing up here, we were one of the first group of South Sudanese migrants to Australia which meant that we were quite isolated for a long period of time and mm. there were a couple of other families that were in Sydney, whereas we grew up in sort of the Hunter Valley Central Coast region closer to Newcastle. Mm. So a lot of my relationship to Australia and culture was always this thing of like culture is family and everything that's not family is just other. Um, and mm. so in that way it was difficult to kind of have a sense of you know belonging or whatever when there was such a distinction you know, mm. um, and there so were you the only South Sydney's family in your town that you grew up in. We were until my cousins moved, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then that was like it was like Christmas every day. We'd we'd spent so yeah. much time together. Yeah, and what are your memories of of Kenya? What kind of springs to mind when you think of that time? Do do you have much? I mean, you were I guess under six, but are there things that are kind of seared into your brain from there that you feel? somehow have come out in your art or that or that are conscious there in in what you're doing now with your life I don't have a, a ton of memories but there are the, there are lots of little childhood memories and and I suppose like the theme of the things that I do remember is sort of play and um fantasy mm. because we didn't we, we obviously we lived in a refugee camp for the majority of the time there so there wasn't a lot of resources but I do remember like my cousins and my older brothers making figurines out of clay you know and making little like farm animals and toy cars and things like there was just so much I suppose creativity and um making use of whatever resources we had so when we moved to Australia and had no other family members or community around us I suppose we felt that that lack, that lack of, mm. I don't know, um, communal play. Yeah, that's so interesting. And then how did your – do you feel like that that was the seed of your artistic and creative um, soul, I guess, or was there something in your schooling that, that really planted that or do you feel like it was always there in your kind of family lines? Where do you think that came from? I think it came from that for sure, um, but it also came from when we did move to Australia, and also you know when we were in Kenya as well. There was a lot of media around us, so we watched TV in Kenya. We mm. had TV, we watched movies. I have really strong memories of everybody, of everybody being like a really huge fan of like Mariah Carey, Michael mm. Jackson, and Celine Dion. Still to this day, Celine Dion is my absolute queen. Yeah. Um, so there was just a lot of media and a, a lot of like music and film. Um, so when we moved to Australia, not only did the play and the, the communal stuff kind of influence my creativity, but also just watching lots and lots and lots of media. Like that's what we used to to learn to speak English. That's what we had after school like every other kid. So there was just mm-hmm. like an abundance of all kinds of media, like The Simpsons and all the kind of sci-fi stuff I mentioned as well. We'll be back in a moment. But in the meantime, reviews help people find us. So if you like what we're doing, it'd be great if you could help us out. Just jump on your podcast app and give us a rating to spread the word and let us know what you love. Did you go to art school? What what happened after um, school? How did you find your, I guess, your path into a, a career in art? 
Yeah, I did go to art school, but I initially went to study architecture straight out of high school because oh, I had, right. I had, um, I suppose I should uh, contextualize it by saying that I grew up with two older brothers and a younger brother before my sister was born. So I was always sort of like trying to be like the boys and right. all, all my cousins who moved, those cousins that moved um, onto the central coast with us were all boys as well. So I just always had this thing of like having to prove that I was as tough as them. But mm. um, they played soccer and all kinds of like tough boy things, but they also played a lot of video games. So I ended up playing lots of video games with them. And one of the ones that I played the most and ended up being more into than them was The Sims. And so I'd play The Sims and like make these houses and I was like, yes, I'm an architectural master. <laughs> like I am Frank Gehry reincarnated, let's go. <laughs> um, so I went to study architecture because I thought that it was a good combination of art, but also I can have an actual job with this and you know I can support my family and make them proud and blah, blah, blah. It took me about like a week and a half before I realised that it was so not for me. Mm. Uh, mostly because, um, yeah, there's just like a lot of spatial awareness stuff that my brain was just like, I do not understand. Like, how do you turn this cube into, like, it just didn't make sense. Um, so I dropped out eventually. And then after a few other errors of university attempts, I ended up going to art school. Right. Um, but I, I studied painting actually at art school. Was that the VCA or? No, I went to, um, I went to SCA, Sydney College of Arts at Sydney University. Yeah. And I did. So you moved up to Sydney for that? Yes. Yeah. So went to Newcastle to do architecture, realised it wasn't for me and then moved to Sydney, the big smoke, to do fine art. And it was really weird though, because I remember there was a really long period of time when all of my relatives would be like, what are you doing at uni? And I'd say fine art. And they'd be like, ah, oh, yes, finance. That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> and I was just too embarrassed to correct them. So for a really long time, everyone in my family was like, ah, oh, yes, Satanga Tam, she's studying finance. They'd be like, can you help me with, you know, investments? And I'd be like, uh, okay. No, not really. <laughs> and actually on that front, did you get any pressure, you know, which I guess a lot of people do to, to do something, I guess, more... Um, people think of art as the ultimate um financial risk career don't they that you yes did you did you have any family pressure to follow something that was you know much more guaranteed to give you a, a you know stable income and, and therefore life <laughs> yeah there wasn't I don't, I don't want to say pressure I mean there was definitely pressure in this in the in the sense that you know all parents are sort of like oh are you sure are you sure mm. um but my parents were more along the lines of like you know, we just don't want things to be hard for you. We've we've spent so much of our time and we've made so many d- decisions to try to make life as easy as possible for you. Just be mindful of, you know, don't don't let things be too difficult because when they get really difficult, they can get really, really difficult. Mm. So there was a, a sense of, um, you know, just a little bit of uncertainty. And I was also like a little bit... Like, I wasn't getting the best grades or anything in school, but I I found school really easy because I was a little Mm. bit of a nerd and I loved to read and loved to write and stuff. So I think they wanted me to take advantage of the the relatively good marks that I did get at the end of high school. Mm. I suppose when you get decent marks in high school, your life's almost kind of planned out for you. Like, you you then go on to do law or medicine or something and life kind of follows a particular path. So... It felt counterintuitive to them that I would choose to, you know, go back on that and, and, and make decisions that would, would require a lot of struggle, I suppose, when I didn't mm. necessarily need it, which may, meant that when I did finally sort of bite the bullet and decide to just be an artist for real, 
that I felt I had a lot to prove and it, it, I put a lot of energy and effort into it and I worked my butt off. Yeah. And what at what point was that that you went, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it work? Um, it, it's been multiple points, to be honest. Mm. There was multiple times when I was like, this is what I'm doing and I'd work really hard and then... I would feel really like, you know, worried because financial security was just never available to me um, mm. choosing to be an artist. Uh, so then I would sort of either go back to uni, which I did a couple of times, or try to learn a skill or get a job in like a regular kind of career. And I think like the amount of times I'd take on a job, like I, there was a job I had not that long ago, like maybe five, six years ago, maybe, yeah, six or seven years ago, Working in an office, doing, like, um, uh, computer stuff. Like, it was just sort of behind-the-scenes retail, you know, whatever stuff. And it was quite secure and I was showing up every day and it was a nine-to-five and the pay was decent. But, like, I actually just couldn't do it. And I, mm. it just it felt like there is someone else that could do this and actually find some sort of enjoyment out of this, whereas, I, like, I can't. I would rather go back to you know, working a part-time retail job perhaps and then also trying to make art on the side. Yeah, I think multiple times I've had to sort of make that decision. But the last time was probably 2017. I just remember that I was with my friends in Fiji at their place and we had like a huge kind of emotional conversation and I just had this realisation that there's literally nothing else in the world that I would like to do. And, uh, you know, as long as I've got support of friends and family, like I may as well just give it a go. Yeah, and that's that's a big point in life, isn't it, for yeah. everyone, but particularly for an artist. It's, you have no choice in a way, like this is the path you're going on. Absolutely. And also there's nothing else that I'm really that good at. Can't count, <laughs> can't drive, you know, <laughs> not great at numbers. There's a lot of things that I, I'm actually – it's actually, if we're really going to go there, I think that it's a public service for me to not do any other job because I would fail miserably <laughs> and probably end up in jail. <laughs> but there's nothing like having no other skills, which I'm sure you do have, but but, but to, to focus your, your energies, as you say. Exactly. Um, and I was sitting next to your parents at the La Prairie Art Award dinner, actually. Um, they must have felt pretty, pretty um, chuffed that night. Oh, they so were. It was really hard to look at them when I was making my little speech because it was just like despite all of the things and because all of the things that they've been through, you know, I'm able to – have the privilege to say, I'm not going to have a normal job. I'm going to do this thing that brings me joy. And being able to follow your joy is such a ridiculously huge privilege. So, yeah, I owe everything I have to my parents, to be honest. Yeah. And your siblings, are they creative as well? They are. They're very, very, very creative. My, my sister studied musical theatre and she's now in music management and she's an incredibly gifted musician. So I've got one little sister who's 23 now and I've got a brother who just turned 25 and two older brothers who are in their 30s as well. They're all kind of got normal jobs. <laughs> they all have regular, regular <laughs> jobs, but they're all extremely creative. And to be honest, like, yeah, I think so many of these artistic decisions that I've made have come easily because even if I've not necessarily felt that I had, um, you know, verbal support of like, go and be an artist, you can do this. My siblings have always supported me and they've always, I, I've always been the weird one in the family. So right. anytime I made a decision, they're like, oh yeah, of course you would do that. That's fine. So there's 
this sort of subtle subconscious support and now, you know, in adult life with the awards and all of that sort of stuff, like they're not surprised, which is hilarious. They're just yeah. sort of like, yeah, of course you've got this. Of course you're going to Switzerland. <laughs> of course you get this. Like they're just so they, – they all saw it for me before I saw it for myself. Yeah. That's great though. Yeah. And it seems to me in recent years, Australians of South Sudanese heritage have really been making a big mark and, and the profile has really lifted, you know, from someone like um, Adul Takesh Bior, who's, you know, modelled for Karl Lagerfeld and, and walked the runways of the world through to AFL players. There's a whole suite of AFL players, Majok Dor being one of them. What has that done, I guess, I guess, for you and for other members of your community to see? And, and then you winning this award is another example, I guess, to see people from that diaspora getting much more mainstream recognition for what they're doing. I think it's um, amazing. Like, it, I, f- I feel like the, the impact of, of these sorts of people being recognised isn't really going to be fully understood for generations because it, mm. it, it really is like, you know, creating history in that way. It's a shame that we look to these individuals and that we need these individuals to sort of, you know, represent the um, the possibilities or the, the pathways that are available because we should be able to just sort of look within ourselves and, and, and kind of decide to do what we want to do. But the reality is that we need we need people to, to show us that things are possible, especially when we come from, you know, a minority group or whatever. And I think especially for South Sudanese people, with the majority of us being, you know, displaced people, um, mm. you know, a lot of us are former refugees. Like the majority of us didn't migrate to Australia because we wanted to go to Bondi Beach, you know. Like there's mm. a very intense history. So to see people from my community who are rising to fame, not just because they are like political activists, not just because they're doing the, the work in the forefront, but because they're able to like follow their passions, it kind of mm. means that the work that our parents and our aunties and grandparents did is is paying off in a way. So yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's quite yeah, it's quite beautiful and I'm just really proud that it's it's within my generation that these things are happening and that it, you know, I get to see it. <laughs> I get to yeah, see it. Yeah, that's right. And I noticed in one story that I read that you talked about not feeling Australian or not wanting to identify as Australian because of the colonial roots tell us about about that yeah I've said that before I think I find it really difficult to sort of yeah identify as any sort of thing other than South Sudanese Mm. Um, and the reason for that is like I just really want because I wasn't born in in South Sudan you know I, I was born in Ethiopia I grew up in Kenya and I've lived in Australia the majority of my life there's a sense of like where are you from who are you kind of thing that comes up often and my culture, my cultural upbringing, my familial upbringing, you know, my language, my ancestry is South Sudanese. And because we're such a small country, we're a small group of people in terms of the global population. And so many of us are, again, displaced and former refugees. I just feel like I have a sense of duty to nurture that place that I come from. And, mm. and um, you know, I'm really grateful to be living in Australia and I, I love living here um, and I will probably live here for a very long time. But there is like, I don't want to lose where I come from in any of the things that I do. But I mean, that being said, there's also a sense of like, I didn't come to Australia with permission from First Nations people, you know, like the, there's that history that I want to acknowledge. I'm not here because the people who are from here said you can come here. So there is also that colonial 
sort of acknowledgement that I think is really important. Even when we talk about all the amazing things that South Sudanese people have achieved in this country, you know, I don't want that to ever be celebrated at the expense of acknowledging, you know, the colonial trauma of First Nations people that led to me being able to be here. So it's a deeply complicated um, identity, I think. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that Australia's unresolved issues between First Nations and and all the rest of us who came after. Mm. Obviously, we've now got a new federal government. There's talk about the statement of the heart going somewhere, a voice to parliament, that kind of thing. What's your kind of view on, on all of that? So a lot of my work, I've spoken about it being kind of anti-colonial and I speak a lot about decolonisation and the importance of that especially when you live somewhere that is colonised and so on. And for a long time I used to think, like, it's so complicated. Like, how do you make things better? What do we do as people who aren't from here and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think at the end of the day it's it's just about uplifting and supporting the very well-educated voices and the, 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 the voices of people who, like, know what they're talking about and who are from here. Um, and, you know, decolonisation really is about giving back and, like, you know, returning what was taken. So, yeah, I suppose what I think about it is, like, there are so many First Nations voices and people who know infinitely more than I could about it and my responsibility is then to make sure that I'm not speaking over them and make sure that I'm not sort of, you know, making decisions when there are people who who could do it and I can just sort of support them. So really it's actually, it feels quite easy. But um, Mm. I suppose people struggle with not being at the forefront of whatever thing or movement they want to participate in. Yeah, And and I think for me as a South Sudanese person, it is quite easy to then focus my, like the energy of wanting to be at the forefront and wanting to do the thing onto like, what can I do as a South Sudanese person when it comes to my own, you know, decolonial mission as in South Sudan? And, um, yeah, there's, like, spaces for everybody to do the work, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. And you're about to go overseas as part of the La Prairie Art Award. The stunning work that you created for that award now goes into the permanent collection of the Art Guild of New South Wales and, and you get a residency in Switzerland. Tell us where you're going in Europe and what you're going to be doing. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. Um, firstly, I'm very nervous because I haven't been on a flight longer than two hours in, like, how many years now. Um, I do have my compression stockings because I do need them. That is yeah. a sign of the times, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm going to Switzerland first with the La Prairie team and we'll be going to um, Art Basel, which I'm very, very excited about. Mm. I'll be a VIP guest of La Prairie at Art Basel, which I'm sure that my social media is going to change. Like all of a sudden I'll just rebrand from like an Instagram artist to like an Instagram Switzerland influencer and I'll be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> champagne and sharps yeah. and oysters. Um, so that's going to be really, really exciting. And we'll, get, mm. we'll be going to a lot of different museums and galleries in Switzerland. And then after that I will be in Denmark with my fiancé for a little while and visiting his brother over there and – then I'll be going to London. I'll, I'll be going, hopefully, to Berlin to see Documenta and Arles in and Paris. And like, there's just a lot of things to see. And I'm trying to make it fun and not too like chaotically busy. Um, but 
yeah, I'm so chuffed. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful time. You're an amazing artist. So congratulations on, on winning that award. And um, I'm just going to be fascinated to watch your work progress over the many years to come. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's nice to see you since our lovely dinner together. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Good Weekend Talks is brought to you by the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Subscriptions power our newsrooms. To support independent journalism, search subscribe Sydney Morning Herald or The Age. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Good Weekend Talks is produced by Julia Carr-Katzel. Technical assistance from Cormac Lally, editing from Conrad Marshall, Tom McKendrick as head of audio and Katrina Strickland as the editor of Good Weekend.